but I've had experiences throughout this where I did feel what religious people tell me is like that elation, that kind of like really heightened experience of praying and just feeling Mm -hmm. like, ah, I feel so much better. Or a sense of peace. Yeah. Sense of peace or reading a passage and being like, oh, that's, you know, that's pretty insightful stuff. And yeah. Yeah. Mostly the praying, you know, I remember like just nights of telling God your sins kind of thing. And as a little kid feeling like a, a good feeling from that. Like relief. Yeah. Relief. But what I see is like, so other people that are religious have that same experience, but they take that jump over the Grand Canyon and say, well, that's God. And that's, oh, well, that's, this feeling is, you know, comes from God. I'm like, Mm -hmm. well, I just never really put that together. Like I never, I never saw that connection. That's Um, giving a lot of power to outside of yourself. Recording from my studio here in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm a born and raised New Yorker, now living in the South. Welcome to Confessions of a Financial Advisor, the antidote to conventional financial independence wisdom. My name is Al. I've been a financial advisor for over 20 years. I've worked with thousands of clients in all areas of the country and from all walks of life. Through the relationships I had with these people, I've discovered the mindsets and behaviors that are most effective in a person's financial life, plus the pitfalls and all the BS to watch out for. The financial independence community today has completely lost its way, and I felt it was time to call out the FI gurus, podcasters, and self-proclaimed pundits. This podcast is not about the numbers. That's what all the other financial podcasts talk about. We will focus on the emotional and psychological components that drive our behavior. I am not looking for new clients, and I'm not interested in running for any kind of office. I'm going to tell you like it is from an insider's perspective and pull back the curtain on the financial industry. Now, let's get into confessions of a financial advisor. Welcome to Confessions of a Financial Advisor, Episode 5, Religion and Lord of the Rings. I'm here with Diane, my partner in crime, my PIC. I like that. Yeah, the acronym. Everything is an acronym these days, so. You can't have too many acronyms. You can't. Yeah, it's a busy world. We got to like cut to the chase. We can't. (laughs) Get to the point. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So yeah, so religion and Lord of the Rings. There is a lot within this one post. Um, this was a fun one to write just because it really, again, comes back down to the stories and what stories do we believe and what stories do we tell ourselves? Yeah, and I've been, I've been swaying back and forth today thinking about this podcast and the direction I want to take with it. Because there's a part of me that, for those that don't know, I'm Definitely not a religious person. I grew up Catholic, as you did, Diane. I did. And went through the whole rigmarole, baptism, confirmation, communion, the whole thing. And never had a good taste in my mouth from religion, uh, from very little. It just didn't seem to be true, even as a little kid. To me, I just didn't. I couldn't understand why people were telling me this. And I really thought it was bullshit, even as a little kid. Mm-hmm. And that's never kind of left me. And I've, I've been in and out of religion a lot, 
So I spent my whole childhood within religion and then spent, you know, two and a half years here in Charlotte playing drums in a church band, mm-hmm. which was Methodist. So they call that Catholic light. So uh, that's, yeah, that's a, you know, kind of like a mellow version of Catholicism. Watered down version. Watered down. Roman wear, Catholicism. You wear yeah. jeans, you can play rock music, you know, so a little more hip. As a kid, I just never really believed in it. Um, and I always think of this one quote where it says, like, religion allows the average person or average people to believe by the millions what only a lunatic could believe on their own. And I don't say that to offend anybody. I say that because when I think of religion just as a whole, I think of, okay, so there's cults on one hand that are considered like on the fringe, very small groups, extremists. Mm -hmm. And then there's the main religions that have billions of people that follow them, you know, whether it's Islam, uh, Christianity, what have Mm -hmm. you. So what's the difference between the two? When you really think about it, it almost seems like one is very mainstream and has been and normalized and, and normalized. accepted. And then the other one, again, is on the fringe and kind of extremists, cuckoo, whatever you want to call it. It's just mm-hmm. something that's out there, quote unquote, out there. But then when you really think about it, I'm like, well, these are all stories. So mm-hmm. the story of, you know, Joseph Smith, right, with the Mormon religion. Yep. That seems cuckoo to even like, you know, Christ, you know Christians. Mm-hmm. And it seems also that, not that I consider myself atheist or maybe agnostic. I don't really have a label for it. Um, but it seems like if you don't believe in a God, that's automatically seen as like the worst thing. Appalling. Appalling. You know, well, first you can't be elected to public office if you don't believe in God. That's one thing. Um, yeah, it's just you, pe- people of religion tend to describe someone like myself as someone that can't possibly have a moral compass. Yeah. So my reply to that is always, I don't think I need religion to give me morals or to give me a framework of how to live my life. I think that you that- could be a good person without belonging to some organized group yeah all you all anybody would need would be empathy um because all that's all they're really trying to give you they're trying to tell you what you should and should not do in this life Mm -hmm. you know you should believe in one god you should not kill you should not steal you should not sleep you should be kind to your neighbor kind to your neighbor the golden rule right right and to me empathy like kind of encompasses all that so if you have empathy then you're not going to do bad things because you mm-hmm. understand that you're not going to go around murdering people because you just know that that's inherently not right. Yeah. And you're not going to steal from people because you don't want to be stolen from. Yeah. Um, it just makes it's much sense. more common sense without having to have a label attached to it. Seems very common sense. But for some reason, it's spun to be like, there's no way you can have this without the construct of religion. Mm-hmm. You can't possibly have this innate understanding of yourself of more, you know, whatever you want to call it, moral compass or moral framework going on that. Then you get into, you know, the faith thing. So do you have blind faith or do you have like just regular faith, you know? So there's like a blind faith is just, you know what, like barring all evidence. I don't care about evidence. I don't care about logic. I just have faith. I'm like, okay. And what's the reasoning behind that? Well, faith is a good thing. It's, you know, If you don't Mm -hmm. have faith, you're not as strong as I am. I have strong faith and faith is what, you know, 
keeps everything together for me. And I always thought to myself, I'm like, why would you do that? Like, I don't like, what's the benefit mm. of having just a blind faith? And what's the danger is the underlying question to that, to what's, blind faith. How far? I think a healthy dose of skepticism is helpful. And so too. Yeah. I think in my own experiences with some highly, highly religious people, there's just an element of total rigid inflexibility at even considering a story that is different from the one that they choose to believe. And that inflexibility to me is kind of concerning. You wonder being a friend of, you know, being a friend of theirs, what does that look like in other aspects of their life? You know, Mm -hmm. can you really respect their opinion if their belief system seems off or not based on any type of logic? Mm -hmm. So then in what other aspects of their life they making decisions based on blind faith. Mm-hmm. You know, when it comes down to if somebody says something bad about you, now are they going to take that person's opinion as blind faith? Well, I guess Diane's a bad true. person. Yep. Must be true. Somebody said it. Mm-hmm. I read it on the internet. It's got to be true. I read it on the internet. <laughs> 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 so, and that gets into what we were talking about before we even got on the podcast was to tie it a little bit into finance, I always think Mm -hmm. of Enron back in the day, Um, energy company back in, I guess it was like the late nineties, early 2000s, early 2000s. And if you ever watched the movie, the documentary based on Enron, it kind of just shows the fall of Enron and it has all this kind of footage of some of their company meetings and how the executives and even the CEO would be pumping up, to the employees to invest all of their money into Enron stock. To commit fully, to go all in. Yeah, why not? Blind, unquestioning faith in the company. And while he was saying this, the stock was performing amazing, you know? So they're up like, you know, doing 20, 25% a year. So they're all like, wow, we're all geniuses and look how great we're doing. And literally telling the employees to take your 401k, all your retirement savings, put it into Enron stock, which you could do. You can do within one of these companies if you wanted to. If you Just because you can doesn't mean you should. You want to roll the dice, go ahead. Mm-hmm. And so we all see how that turned out. So the employees basically have like a blind faith. And I kind of relate that to like a religious experience. It's, you know. Well, you use the wording that I like. The, the employees became disciples, unquestioning disciples of the company's story that was mm. that the company was putting out. And went all in and just jumped over the cliff. Never thinking to look. Yeah. And you see like the CEO and the executives as like the preachers of the congregation, yeah. you know, sort of like preaching and like. The evangelists you know, of Enron. Shepherd, shepherding their herd, you know. Mm-hmm. This is where it gets tough. This is where like religion and when you like relate it to any type of, I mean, we could just say finance as a general term. If you start believing in certain things without evidence, Mm-hmm. it's dangerous in the finance world. So, you know, you start believing some, you know, your un- crazy uncle tells you that there's yes. this, you know, 5G stock. That he's got the insider information. He knows it's, you know, it's going to go up. This is the next Amazon, you know, or there's so much stuff out there like that where people want to believe this. They want to well, get Well, it reminds quick. me of like pyramid schemes too. Like it's, if it sounds too good to be true, it might just be too good to be true. 
little multi-level like, marketing. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of jumping in so blindly, ask some questions first. Yeah. The, the blind faith. Why do we have this blind faith in certain things? What, what's the reasoning? The reasoning is just, it's just a lack of, I wonder if it's a lack of effort just to try to find evidence or to do any research, or you just want to believe this dream. I don't know if I've made up my mind on where blind faith comes from, but I think it's almost like just throwing your hands up in the air and just being like, I'm just going with this. And I don't need any evidence. I don't need anything. I'm just going with it. Hoping for the best. And I think there's an element of perpetuating cycles to some extent, like when it's just been handed down from generation to generation to generation until somebody stops to question it, it's just going to keep perpetuating. Mm. That's the way we've always done it. Well, that's what our family believes. That's exactly the reasoning my mother gave me when I've had many conversations with her back in the Mm day. She is Christian, um, but not like a hardcore Christian. But once we'd have conversations, she'd say, you know, she prays every day. And I'd always jab at her because, of course, that, you know, that just gave me a ammunition. I'm like, well, mom, you know, I don't believe in any of that stuff. (laughs) And she's like, what do you mean? What do you mean you don't believe? Like, you have to believe in something. I'm like, well, mom, tell me why you believe. Mm-hmm. And her only answer would be like, well, that's just what my parents taught me. Mm. I'm like, well, wait, mom. I'm like, you're an intelligent woman. Let's, let's forget about the, what your parents taught you. What do you believe? Like now that, take that out of the context. I, I don't know, Al. I don't know. It's just what you know, I grew up with. It's what my parents taught me. It didn't go any further. I'm like, all right, we can't get around that, that influence of parents growing up. That's just mm-hmm. what you were taught. Okay. It's ingrained and just blindly again accepted. And you use the word, I think, Christopher, is it Hutchins you were referencing? Christopher Um, Hitchens, yeah. Hitchens. And the phrase that some religion has become in some ways like a celestial dictatorship and like a parent-child or even the master-slave relationship. Like you're supposed to love the person that's beating you. Like how messed up is that? Like, yeah, it's just when it's taken to such a, a blindly unquestioned extreme, there's danger in that. Yeah, that you're inherently flawed. You're an inherently flawed person. And if you sin, you're going to be punished for the sin. If you sin and don't repent, you're going to burn in hell. That's it. Don't repent. And this is the story that we're telling children. Like, yeah. Yeah. Santa Claus sounds a lot more fun. (laughs) Doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah. You're going to repent. Yeah. You get so many mixed signals as a kid because. I, I really didn't think it was, it was true, but at the same time, I was afraid of it. Mm-hmm. So you have this mixture of feelings. Cause I remember as a kid also like praying and feeling good about it and just mm-hmm. being like, all right, I did something wrong. I prayed. I'm like, I feel better. Yeah. So I think the utility of religion is definitely undeniable. I mean, it's there, there's definitely utility to praying to, to the sense of community even. And we've talked about that. You and I have, you know, if it, enhances your life. You know, we're both New Yorkers living in the Bible belt of the South. If it enhances your life and you feel like you benefit from that belonging and that fellowship, go for it. Just don't judge me if I choose not to participate. I think that's the line. That's the line. Whatever is going on between your ears is your thing. Mm-hmm. Just don't put that out on me. I mean, you can believe whatever you believe. That's fine. I mean, we can right. all believe whatever we, we want to believe. 
it's as soon as you take that next step where, no, you have to believe what I believe because what I believe is true. Mm-hmm. You're just not, not there yet. It's that kind of... It's that element of judgment and condescension, having the moral high ground and I'm better than you and all and, of that bullshit. And what we were talking about before the podcast again was when you see someone with that takes the stance of this moral high ground that uh-huh. I'm doing all these great things and you're going to be punished for what you did, but I'm like, you should really try to emulate the way I live. It's the telltale sign that they're hiding something. They're mm-hmm. doing something wrong. They're, oh, they're it, it, violating it, some aspect of morality that eventually is going to come to light. But it's so shocking because it's, it's the polar opposite of what they're projecting, right? So right. they're projecting, I'm perfect. Look at me. Oh, maybe I'm not perfect, but like I've really lifted this high standard and you're just not there yet. I'm like, wow. Then, and so whenever I hear the stories of that happening and like the pastor that's been preaching and then he's found like doing crystal meth and sexually molesting kids in the back room. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I hear that. I'm like, that doesn't even surprise me anymore. Like I'm not not surprised. Nobody's surprised. And so when I see it like in person, so we also talked about, we're both from the North Mm -hmm. and the difference in the mentality toward religion up north as opposed to being in the Bible Belt here. There is a significant difference. It isn't really talked about a whole lot. Because um, you had talked about, even in the posts we mentioned, like growing up, religion wasn't a conversational topic. It wasn't something we talked about. It wasn't, it just wasn't. There was so much diversity and so many different faiths. And there was almost an acceptance of you do you and, you know. <laughs> This is what my family does, but you know, you didn't lead with the, a religious question. Whereas in the South, it's very common for Southerners to one of the first questions out of their mouth when they meet you is, "Where do you go to church?" Which I just always found off-putting. Like that just feels like a very personal thing to ask, and we just met. Yeah, up north, there's a consequence that's paid if you were to like just walk around in public with that kind of. If you take somebody, about, yeah if you take somebody from the South and you just drop them in New York city and then they talk the way they do in the South, uh-huh. but out there, like they're not going to, you know, have too many friends. And it's not going to go well. They might take a beating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just the way it is up there. I, I didn't know any different. You didn't know any different. I just no. lived, I, I grew up there. It's just the way it was. I had a lot of friends that were very contemplative and, you know, we'd have a lot of philosophical conversations, but it never mm-hmm. like ever revolved around, so what do you think about God? And like, what do you think we really came from? It's like, it was almost like this understanding of like, nobody knows that. It's like, nobody's all, got all the answers. We're like, to, and it's we're so, all trying to figure it out. Yeah. So there's a quote that I love that you talked about. Believe those who seek, doubt those who find. And I think that is a beautiful illustration of those who refuse to question. That's a red flag. In some cases, it's the seekers that are constantly questioning and never proclaim to have all the answers. Yeah, because once you plant that flag saying that I found it, I know the ultimate answer, got it, mm-hmm. done, mm-hmm. you know, conversation's over. Now it's, mm-hmm. there's no more, there's no more questioning. There's no more seeking any other. There's no more growth either. No more growth. I mean. Yeah. There is no endpoint, as we've talked about on so many different topics. There's yeah. no finish line. And I can't imagine having that that thought process of just now I know. 
over. No more contemplation. I'm done. Yeah, no more. <laughs> no research, more growth for me. No more growth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's become like a repetitive theme. I see it so often that it's so apparent now. Mm-hmm. But I think in the South, it's a little bit different because, for instance, again, just kind of going back to when I was playing drums in the Methodist church bands, I played, I've been playing drums for a while. My drum teacher told me the best way to get better is to like play all the time. The best way to do that, get in the church bands. Right. I played well, accountability at the very least. Accountability and, and also just repetition and, you mm-hmm. know, consistency. So every Wednesday and Sunday I played for two and a half years straight. So, of course, you know, as we're playing in the band, I'm also watching the sermon going on in front of me, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, we'd play a song or play two songs, and then the preacher would come up and he'd start preaching to the congregation. And just listening to him, I just remember thinking, like, I'm like, I, I just don't, I don't see it. Like, I don't get it. I don't, I felt like so, so not part of the conversation. I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't get what was going on but everybody was listening so intently and like kind of nodding and everything the preacher would say agreeing and you know then they would sing and once again I, I want to make this very clear like I don't deny the utility of feeling good being in that place community companionship singing over, praying yeah. all that stuff I think does people a lot of good but when I see somebody preaching about it and like their attitude and they would say this was their attitude that we're Literally, they would say the terms of like hurting or was it um, shepherding or uh-huh. shepherding the congregation. They would use those words. I'm like, are they freaking goats? Right. What are you shepherding here? These are people. How stupid that- do you think I am? That's how I react to that. Like, I just, I have my own opinions. Like, I'm an unaffiliated voter because I will make up my own damn mind. Not to get political, but just, you know, that blind faith and the blindly not questioning is, it, there's danger in that. I think part of it also for me was that I come from the opinion that just take care of yourself. People don't need your help. Okay. Take care of yourself. And just by you being a better person, that's going to help other people. But mm-hmm. once you start taking this role that you're the teacher and I'm going to tell everybody how to do this because I'm the guy that knows what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And I got 200 people out there that need my shepherding. Mm-hmm. It's a power a trip. Doesn't it feel like? Like, yeah. And very, like you said, condescending, like just sort of like, wait, I'm a human being. I I feel like I I almost wanted to scream out to the congregation, like, Hey, you guys could all do this on your own. (laughs) You're going to be fine. Just go by your intuition. You're a good person. Mm -hmm. You don't need all this. Like you can do this. If you need help, I understand. Like, you know, talk to people. There's, you know, you have community, but you don't need to listen to somebody on some pedestal. At a certain time on a certain day once a week with Bible study on Wednesday, like telling I you mean, that they know a hundred percent of exactly what you should be doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so you bring that all full circle, you know, bring that into like the financial worlds. You get mm-hmm. people, you get people telling you, this is the stock you should be invested in. This is how you should do it. Don't question me. I know. I, know I have all the answers, all the answers. Hmm. <laughs> That doesn't inspire confidence in me. But it attracts a lot of people somehow. I suppose why, so. I wonder why people need that. It's like, why do people need, you know, you're looking at somebody, they're saying, this is the only way to go. You're like, yeah, that guy's right. All right, I'm going to follow that guy. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think we talked a little bit too about whether it's that 
where are you seeking and where is your focus? Is it internally? Where's like, like it's called in psychology, locus of control. Do you believe mm-hmm. that you have an internal locus of control or are you looking externally? Are you looking within yourself for mm-hmm. what feels true to you? Or are you looking externally to what someone else is saying? Right. And I think it's possible to have both. I think you can have an internal locus of control and believe and trust in yourself to know what's right for you while also still having a sense of belonging to an external community. I think the danger lies in when you give up more of that internal knowing in blind, unquestioned faith to something external. And we also kind of made that, that metaphor of, you know, when you're swimming and you're drowning. Yes. I love that one. Like the drowning. Are you trying to grab onto a life raft? are Are you grabbing onto a shark fin? Right. If you don't take the time to look below the surface, how do you know what you're holding on to? Just blind faith. I'm Mm -hmm. just going to reach up and grab whatever I grab, you know? Mm -hmm. Who knows what it is? I think it's a life preserver, but I haven't really thought about it too much. So, yeah, it's it's a dangerous place to be. And I think it's the pinnacle of narcissism. It's, It's this idea that I'm this person that knows God's telling me what I should be doing God loves me. It's all about, you know, me and I praise him, but he loves me as his child. I'm like, wow, this is such a strange kind of, it it goes a little bit back to the thing we said in the last post about that false humility, Mm. you know, where you have this like humility that like, oh, well, it's not about me. It's about, you know, God. This higher power. Uh Uh-huh. But obviously it's all about you because what you're saying is the relationship between you and God is that you're his child. Oh, okay. You're the one chosen, like you're the chosen one to be the one delivering God's message. Yeah. Oh, that's not ego-based at all. (laughs) (laughs) It's playing both sides. It's playing both sides (laughs) of that coin, you know? Totally. Hmm. So there's a quote by Anne Lamott that we talked about Mm -hmm. and she writes that lighthouses don't, go running around looking for boats to save. They just stand there shining. Love that quote. It's a beautiful quote. Love Anne Lamott. Yeah. And she's a very spiritual person. And yeah. her writing is not, I won't call it religious, but there's a spirituality to it. Um, but again, she's not railing against anyone that's got a different opinion than her. Yeah. And th- there's a lot of people out there that are religious that aren't preaching from the rooftops, mm-hmm. you know, that just, keep it between their ears and you know and if you dig and you ask them a question they'll tell you what they believe but it's not and i love the, i mean i have plenty of friends that are religious in there but once it becomes takes it to that next level where you know all and you need to like tell everybody what they need to believe that's where the problem lies it's not the people that use it for their utility or that maybe really do believe it but just don't also know that you know there's so many different ways of living your life and there's so many different belief systems yours maybe isn't the only way that's right Mm -hmm. that's where religion for me i kind of struggle with it because there's so many different religions and to each one of them to each one of these religions Mm -hmm. basically they're atheists barring one religion right so they're they're considered an atheist when Mm -hmm. it comes to all other religions but we're, you know, I'm saying that, well, I, if you want to label me as that, I'm just 
adding one more religion to that. So you have mm-hmm. thousands of religions, past religions, everything out there that you're considered an atheist mm-hmm. to. And I'm just saying, well, just add one more to that and that would be me. Mm-hmm. That's all. I mean, so when you, I, I put it in that context, I think it makes it more palatable for a religious person to understand. That's not about your religion. It's about all religion. It's not, there's not one way of thinking about anything or that there's not one belief system that's the end all be all truth of the universe. Nobody knows that. We mm-hmm. don't know that. And they're all just, each religion has their own stories that are meaningful to them. And it's like, well, those mean something to you and your faith, whatever that looks like. Cool. Yeah. But, and bringing it back to the Lord of the Rings analogy, like if you were to meet somebody in a place like New York who was preaching about their faith is their religion as the Lord of the Rings and Gandalf as their God, like, <laughs> as long as you're not hurting anybody else like if that's what the story you choose to tell yourself that's cool you think they're a little crazy right you probably want maybe not want to spend so much time one-on-one with them but yeah um it's funny that we've talked all this time i never even like (laughs) lord of the rings into this yeah so the lord of the rings comment um was from somebody that i i listened to and he was comparing heaven to middle earth Mm. so basically it was just like a reference point to say that you know, the religion of Christianity, it's just comparing it to like, obviously a fictional tale. Yeah. Um, which again, makes so much sense to me. I say none of this to try to insult anybody. I, I really don't. It's There's not, not an ounce of condemnation in this conversation. It's no. just. And, but I, I, I guess I have a deep rooted, again, maybe it's some of that Catholic guilt of just thinking, you know, what even talking about this stuff is there's a, little a bit uncomfortable. strong residue of that Catholic guilt in so many aspects of life. Yeah, because yeah. you're talking it's been almost 30 years and it still comes up for me. Like, okay. Yeah, it comes up. I mean, it's yeah. coming up for me, it comes up a little bit in this conversation because I'm trying to pick my words, you know, <laughs> very carefully. Um mm-hmm. Because I again, I don't want to insult anybody. It has nothing to do with insult. It's just what I thought about, you know, and trying to sift through all of the details. It's just, you know, when 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 I think of religion, I think they're always playing two sides to this coin, you know. So on one hand, we're saying that there's this person, like whether it be Gandalf or Jesus or Allah, mm-hmm. or whatever you want to say, that's basically it's all powerful, all knowing, all loving. And then, so that's what a religious person would say. They're all knowing, they're all powerful, and they're all loving. It's all about love, right? Mm-hmm. That's what most religions say. And then when you ask them, you know, well, what about all the atrocities in the world? And what about, like you said, like the yeah. know, the priest pedophiles and right. you know, children suffering and tortured? And then they're like, and well... And people dying of hunger and, yeah. Just yeah, and so then their the comment... The of life. The comment to that, the response I usually get is like, well, God's mysterious, <laughs> like, how would we know what God does? I'm like, well, you just told me what God does. You just told me God is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving. But when it comes to the things that are not right in the world, the things that went wrong, and the... unpleasant experiences of life. Then it's like, well, what do we know? You know, mm-hmm. God's mysterious. We would Who never knows? know God's will. Yeah. Well, you use the analogy of the airline pilot. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I wonder how many of these people who have this blind, unquestioning faith would be comfortable flying, being a passenger on a plane where the pilot just came on and said, you know what? I'm taking my hands off the wheel. I just have faith in whatever higher power I believe in. I just trust that we're going to get land safely after we take off. The power of prayer. Want to be a passenger on the plane? Because 
I'd be running for the door. So yeah, Sam Harris talks about that and he does it in one of his interviews and he says, he says, not only will everybody like any of like all, all the non-religious people will first run off, but all uh-huh. the very um, devout Orthodox yes. religious people will be off just as fast. Uh-huh. So then you start to think like, all right, so do they really believe this? Like, what is that? What's really going on behind the scenes here? You know, well, is everybody just projecting something or. And it also speaks to not acknowledging the impact we each have, you know, with our own, how we choose to behave in life. You know, it's like saying you blindly have faith in some higher power. Okay. What are you going to do? Sit around and wait for the trucks of money to show up at your house? Or are you going to take inspired intentional action to earn a living and make an impact and serve your community? It's like, you can't just sit around on the couch and wait for it. Mm. Like almost like that take no thought like, for the morrow. You can't let yourself off the hook of living life. Well, there's two ways you could look at that. Like I always think of that quote, like take no thought for the morrow, you know, like, so, mm. so I always used to think that that's a good thing, right? Because it's basically telling you like live in the moment, be present, uh-huh. be present, and you don't need to worry about the future. But then you can think about it in a different context. Well, then you're also saying that you're not thinking about the future as far as for what you like. So anything you do today maybe you're not delaying gratification for something better that's going to happen down the road in the future. Mm-hmm. So take no thought for tomorrow means maybe spend all your money right now and just do something that's not ethical because mm. who cares about tomorrow? You don't have to think about it. You're not thinking about con- potential consequences. Yeah. So I always thought like from the two sides of that spectrum, you know, take no thought for tomorrow initially sounded like live in the moments. Mm-hmm. But then part of me is like, well, wait, it's also kind of the only live once kind of theory, right? The mm. YOLO, mm-hmm. which we will talk about next week. FOMO yes. YOLO. Yeah, I think we pretty much covered it, Diane. That's, I mean, there's so much to talk about. We could talk about religion for all day, all day, <laughs> every day. <laughs> to not sort of non-religious people. Yeah. I guess what I want to kind of close with this whole thing on is this is the one question I've always had that's. It hasn't bothered me. It's just been something that I've always kind of thought about. When I look at somebody that's religious and they're talking to me and I know they're intelligent and I know in any other context or any other topic, we can have a decent conversation. But once it mm-hmm. gets to this religious point, I always think to myself, I'm like, can their brain allow them to believe something that deep down they know is not, couldn't, couldn't possibly be true? You know, mm-hmm. so whatever it is. So let's just say it's Gandalf from Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. So they understand that this is a movie by Peter Jackson and it's fictitious and it's science fiction and whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Could somebody like really, if they made themselves, you know, that's it. I'm believing this, you know, Gandalf is my, my God. And isn't there part of them deep down something intuitive that just knows that this is not true. Can you believe something that you, inherently know is somehow flawed or inaccurate in some way. Yeah, I think you mentioned like more of like that gut, like in your gut, you really know that something's off here. This isn't true. Right. And you were saying that in your previous marriage, um, I, one and only marriage. Cause Oh, one and only. <laughs> <laughs> Not going back to that legal institution. Um, <laughs> 
So I was with, God forbid, if my ex ever hears what I talk about these days, um, <laughs> he'll have fun with that. I shouldn't uh, start the fire here. Yeah. He and I were together for quite a long time. And for a lot of that time, I really talked myself into, no, this is okay. This is, this is all right. This is, this is, you're okay. You can do this. This is as good as it gets. But there was always a price that I paid for trying to internally convince myself of something that I had known for a long time was not what I really wanted. It was not helpful to me. It was not working. And it just, I got to the point where the price that I kept paying got too high. It was higher than I could or was willing to continue paying. Mm. And that's when I ended the marriage and initiated divorce and said, I'm done. But I think some people can continue paying that price. It's just, I hit a threshold where the cost was too high. It was, it just got to the point where I wasn't, I couldn't continue to pay it. So I think you can convince yourself of something, you know, internally is not right for you. And I wish my ex well, like he is now married. They have a kid, like happy family, go on your merry way. Like he and I just weren't right for each other. Mm -hmm. But there was a price that I paid internally to try to convince myself otherwise for a long time. So I think it's possible. I just think there's a price to it. Yeah, I guess it's a different price for each person, depending mm-hmm. on the situation. But I think we all definitely know deep down what's when something wrong. is off. When something's off, like I said at the beginning of this this podcast, I knew as a kid. I just knew. I, I don't know what it was. Well, I do kind of know what it was. You know, being in a in a Catholic church with nuns and very mm-hmm. like traditional and they're literally just reading out of the Bible, which I don't understand. And mm-hmm. it just didn't make any sense to me. And, mm-hmm. but I've had experiences throughout this where I did feel what religious people tell me is like that elation, that kind of like really heightened experience of praying and just feeling mm-hmm. like, Oh, I feel so much better. Or a sense or of a, peace. Yeah. Sense of peace or reading a passage and being like, Oh, that's, you know, that's pretty insightful stuff. And yeah. Yeah, mostly the praying. You know, I remember like just nights of telling God your sins kind of thing. And as a little kid, feeling like a, a good feeling from that. Like relief. Yeah, relief. But what I see is like, so other people that are religious have that same experience, but they take that jump over the Grand Canyon and say, well, that's God. And that's, oh, well, that's, this feeling is, you know, comes from God. I'm like, mm-hmm. well, I just never really put that together. Like I never, I never saw that connection. That's Um, giving a lot of power to outside of yourself. Yeah. And again, it was just innate, like that kind of, you know, that internal feeling of like this, this isn't right. What they're saying doesn't feel, it doesn't sound right to me. Like it just doesn't. Well, if you look at ancient religions, like Buddhism, I mean, a lot of the Eastern religions that have been around forever, you know, there's a way, there's different pathways to contemplation and prayer, whatever, however you define that. And words are just words. You know, it's the meaning that we attach to certain words that impacts our lives. So there's different pathways to presence and peace and morality, even. There is. There definitely is. Well, Diane, I think we've kind of, we've covered it. it. Yeah, I think we have. To tie it back into the whole finance thing again, it's when you believe in a stock so strongly. You know, I was talking about if you have a crazy uncle telling you that, you know, hey, this new uh, cryptocurrency or 5G stock or whatever, pot stock, mm-hmm. you know, is the best thing since sliced bread. It's going to make so much money. And then you put all your belief into that. 
it's very similar. It happens a lot when it comes to finance, especially when it comes to the stock market. People put their faith in one stock. They they form this story. Mm-hmm. You know, they re- read a few things. It all kind of ties together. Now they got this solid belief and they will ride that stock down to nothing with the belief that I know it's going to do well mm-hmm. until eventually it's worth nothing. It doesn't always happen. Some people make a lot of money. Some people get lucky and make a lot of money. More often than not, it doesn't happen that way. And you see these people just with blind faith, just they've heard a couple of things. They've had a, a crazy neighbor come over and give them a stock tip. Well, it'll be like playing the lottery based on like numbers from your horoscope that day. Like, hmm. doesn't seem financially savvy, but okay. Yeah. That works for you. Yeah. A little astrology in there. Yeah. yeah. Mix astrology with the stock market. You know, <laughs> seems like a good strategy. Yeah. <laughs> well, Diane, it's been fun. Um, so yeah, that was religion and Lord of the Rings. We didn't reference Lord of the Rings that much, but you get the, you get what yeah, we're trying to go It's all about the there. story. That's, that's what it comes down to. All about the story. So next week we have a post called FOMO YOLO. So FOMO YOLO, I'm sure all you millennials out there know what that means, but for us older Talk about folks, another acronym, two more acronyms. Two more acronyms. I felt like they went together, you know? They do go together. Yeah. They're complimentary. You don't usually hear them in the same sentence, though. So FOMO being fear of missing out. And then YOLO being you only live once. That'll be our post for next week. Please follow us at faconfessions.com. Please leave uh, likes, comments. Likes, comments, shares. just Just start typing stuff in there. And just, you know, if you feel inclined to leave something nice, great. But yeah, we'll see you next week with FOMO YOLO. And thanks for listening. And uh, we'll see you next time. See you next week.